3: I could stay here forever.
2: Carvana,
0: where car buying meets comfort
2: meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
3: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Good morning, everybody.
4: It's Jefferson Smith here. Sitting in for Tom. Missouri has joined to pass their own version of abortion ban. Alabama is not an isolated incident. It is not merely a story of a single state or of a single legislator or of a single bill. It is indeed about the onslaught of anti-freedom and anti-women legislation. It is part of an onslaught of the subversion and erosion of democracy. There are 22 states that right now have Republican trifectas, that have full control of the apparatus of government held by the Republican Party in those 22 states. Essentially all of those states, nearly all of those states, will take a crack at undermining or outright eliminating a woman's right to choose. In just a minute, by the way, we're going to be talking to Dr. Lena Nguyen, the president of Planned Parenthood. It'll be an honor to have her. Obviously, it's in the context of Alabama passing the nation's most restrictive, essentially outright ban on abortion, clearly unconstitutional, uh, just begging to be overturned by a federal court who follows the interpretation of the Constitution, almost literally begging a now fully right-wing majority of the Supreme Court. To change the interpretation of the Constitution to allow the most extreme law to be allowed. The state of Missouri followed up with their own version. We'll talk to Dr. Lena Wynn about what's happening in Missouri also. I think so much of what's going on, I mean, I don't think you can understand what's happening without seeing it through a lens of deep cultural misogyny. I don't think you can understand what's going on without seeing it as also a cynical ploy to build political power in support of oligarchs and do it on the backs of exploiting misogyny. I think something else that's going on is people in my generation forgetting and not having real-time memories, having lots of people who probably didn't tell us, but lots of people in our lives who had abortions. But not had people in our lives who were victimized by having to suffer illegal abortions. I think our generation can forget. And I really appreciate calls from people who have been directly impacted by this discussion. So it is not only theoretic. So it's not only seen through a political power lens. Let's remember. Let's talk to somebody who is an expert, is I think the only physician, the first physician in the last fifty years to run Planned Parenthood, Dr. Lena Wen. Planned Parenthood provides health services to nearly two and a half million men and women each year. And I believe Dr. Wen is with us now. Doctor Wen, can you hear me and welcome and thank you so much for joining us. I can. Thank you very much. What do you think? People are missing. What do you think the media has been missing, the conversation is missing as we analyze what's happening in Alabama and what we're seeing what's happening in a bunch of other states also?
5: We need to talk about how stigmatizing women's health care and treating reproductive health care as something separate is a tool of oppression and a tool of misogyny. But on the other hand, we cannot forget what it's really about. And what it's really about is women's lives. This bill that got signed into law in Alabama, this heartbreaking, horrible bill that bans abortion basically entirely, with no exceptions for rape and incest, that would criminalize doctors for up to 99 years in prison. The impact of this is that women are not going to get the health care that they need. It's going to directly endanger women's lives. Thousands of women died before Roe every year. And that could happen again. And we as Planned Parenthood simply cannot stand for that. We have to remind everyone about what's really at stake here. And that this is not just about the women of Alabama. This is about all of us. Because what these politicians in Alabama are trying to do is to prompt a challenge to Roe versus Wade. And to ban access to all safe legal abortion and the consequence of that well we know what happened before roe and we simply cannot go back to that time now we know that we have the american people on our side support for roe versus wade is as high as it's ever been seventy three percent seventy eight percent in some polls say that they support roe versus wade as the law of the land we know also that women are outraged women are disgusted by what is happening and we are ready to hold our elected officials accountable for what they're supposed to do, which is to increase health care, not take it away, which is to make sure that our children have more rights, not fewer rights than we do, and to secure the health and the well-being of all of our residents.
4: I want to ask what's happening in the States, but I also want people to understand you and learn you because I think that you are in such an important position at this moment in history and are going to be looked to for leadership and in a position to offer such critically needed leadership. How did you get into this work?
5: I'm in an emergency physician, and it's working in the ER that I saw what happens when people do not get access to the health care that they need. And I also saw working in the ER that just because there is access available doesn't mean that people can literally get to it if there are bad policies in place. I mean, I worked before and after the Affordable Care Act and saw people literally die because they did not have access to health insurance. I had a patient who who came in with a stroke, and while we could treat her stroke, the real problem was that she couldn't afford her medications and was cutting her blood pressure pills in half, was rationing her insulin for her diabetes, and that's actually why she had the stroke. And so I know that in order to improve our health, We have to both provide exceptional health care and fight to protect access to that care. That's the work that Planned Parenthood does every single day. That is our commitment to our patients. We are proud to provide health care, life-saving, life-transforming health care to one in five women in America and to men and to all people as well. And we're also proud to defend our rights and defend our freedom especially at this time when everything is on the line.
6: I
4: am reminded of election night. I was a little bit surprised by the Alabama law and not personally fully surprised because I know there are 22, I think it's 22 states that have Republican trifectas and I know that there have been efforts in the growing majority of those states to undermine or outright abandon Owen's right to choose eliminated one's right to choose, I was a little bit surprised because I thought there'd be more nibbling around the edges rather than being as extreme and obvious as Alabama has been. I also recognize that I do see this through and try to see this through a humble lens myself because then another friend was saying, no, Jeff, this was what, and I saw somebody say a similar thing on Twitter, No, this is what women were crying about, what so many women were crying about on election night, when my wife was crying about election night, because she recognized this wasn't only about a power struggle, this was about a life and death struggle for so many human beings and so many women and trans people in the country. Did Alabama surprise you, or did you just see this coming the moment that Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed?
5: We knew that this was the intention of these anti-women's health politicians all along. For years, they've been passing legislation ostensibly to protect women's health care and children's health, but actually now we're seeing their true colors, what they really stand for. And what they really stand for is to ban all safe legal abortion in an attempt to have power over women's bodies. That's what it's been about all along and we have to put the focus squarely on where it should be which is the impact on women's lives and look we also have to look at the other health outcomes and what's happening in these states um, Alabama has some of the worst health outcomes for women, one of the highest, actually the highest rate for cervical cancer in the country, a critical shortage of OBGYNs, rising maternal mortality. And instead of improving health for women, in fact, exactly the opposite is happening, that these politicians are taking away health care, and that will have impact on generations. Doc, to come.
3: Dr. Lena to Wendland, we Visit Tom right Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
4: We're talking to Dr. Lena Wen, the president of Planned Parenthood. This is the Tom Armand Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. We're talking to Dr. Lena Wen of Planned Parenthood, who knew and anticipated the desire, and now what's happened in Alabama has laid bare that desire in clear and high relief. Missouri, Dr. Wen, as I understand, also just passed what some have called an 80 or 90 percent abortion ban. I think their deadline is eight weeks, which is well early of the Roe versus Wade standard. What does eight weeks mean? Some other states have aimed at six weeks. I've heard those called 80 or 90 percent abortion bans or forced births in 80 to 90 percent of cases. Help us understand what those kind of bans mean for women and mean for human beings in the country
5: we should call these bans for what they are, which is they are total bans on abortion care, on the right to safe legal abortions. This year alone, just in 2019, 16 states have introduced the legislation to ban abortions as early as six weeks. Actually, Alabama's goes even further. Alabama says it's any time after conception. So literally, a woman cannot get an abortion because as soon as she finds out that she's pregnant, it would be illegal. And six weeks, most women don't even know that we're pregnant at that point. And if we did it still takes time to make an appointment and go to that appointment. And for so many women, it's extremely difficult because there are six states in the country where there is already only one abortion provider in the entire state. There's a huge section of our country, 1,600 miles that a woman would have to go without having access to a physician, nurse practitioner who's able to provide abortion care. And so it's, Horrific to see even more barriers being put up. And Missouri, I think, is another example of a state that's facing huge health challenges. I went to medical school in Missouri, and we see the actual public health outcomes in Missouri right now. In many parts of Missouri, the rate of maternal mortality is 50% higher than in the rest of the country, which is already shameful because American women today are... 50% more likely to die in childbirth than our own mothers were. Missouri is facing a syphilis outbreak. The rate of congenital syphilis is higher than it's been in nearly two decades. And congenital syphilis has huge impacts on the newborn, including brain damage and possibly death. The rate of syphilis overall in Missouri is skyrocketing. Five counties are facing an 1,000% increase in syphilis cases. What these politicians should be doing is to listen to the will of the people and to see that public health outcomes are poor in their state. They should be doing everything they can to improve health. And I just want to say these politicians do not get to call themselves pro-life when they are destroying the lives of women, children and families in their state.
4: One of the reasons I'm honored to be able to sit in and do this show is I learn stuff every time. I learn stuff from callers. I learn stuff from guests. I learn stuff in preparation. A comment that my wife made as I was prepping was, we need to understand, Jeff, is a bunch of people in Alabama who don't know what they're talking about, who are making laws, who don't understand science, who don't understand healthcare, who don't understand women, who are making laws that deeply impact women's lives. I hear that music, which means we're about to come back. Can you stick with us for a minute? Absolutely. We're talking to Dr. Lena Wend. I'll follow up on that question in just a moment. This is Tom Armand, am Jefferson Smith.
7: So today is Memorial Day, and over the weekend, it's been a long weekend. Louise and I went hiking, and it's, there's a lot of mountains around here, little ones, but, you know, here around Portland. And it's great to get out and get the exercise, but, boy, you can be sore when you're done which uh you know i'm not a big fan of taking uh you know things like aspirin and ibuprofen and stuff they all have pretty bad side effects but cbd oil Mm, to the best of my knowledge no side effects at all and the stuff actually works as a pain reliever and as an anti-inflammatory cbd oil is non-toxic and and very very effective um and it doesn't intoxicate you it doesn't get you high it's made from hemp not marijuana i mean they're in the same family it's cbd is in both but uh, you know, hemp does not contain the THC, it doesn't have the get-you-high stuff, it just has the CBD. And the brand that Louise and I use is New Leaf Naturals, NU Leaf Naturals. It's the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown right here in the United States. The only ingredient is hemp, and it's truly pure. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. To get some, go to NewLeafNaturals.com, that's N-U-LeafNaturals.com, and you can save 30% off and get free shipping here in the United States when you use the code TOM, that's spelled T-H-O-M. So check it out, go to NewLeafNaturals, N-U-LeafNaturals.com, for premium cannabinoid wellness, and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get your 30% discount and your free shipping, NewLeafNaturals.com. Welcome back to
4: the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith sitting in and joining us, and we're honored to have her. Is the president of Planned Parenthood, Dr. Lena Wen. Dr. Lena Wen had a chance during the break to talk to us about the impacts that the Missouri law, that what she dubbed also should really rightly be considered a total abortion ban. Missouri is eight weeks, other states have done six weeks. Alabama, of course, doesn't even put weeks. As soon as you know about it, you essentially can't have an abortion at all. Clearly unconstitutional under Roe versus Wade, and the impacts that would have on women's lives where I started to go was recognizing the lack of expertise that so many of us have and the opportunity for us. And I will say, speaking personally, appreciate the opportunity to learn more about the topic. It's a horrible context in which to learn about the topic. You're seeing a huge rallying of support for Planned Parenthood for your work, a huge awakening of people to recognize they need to do something. What do you want to ask people to do or what are you heartened by that people are doing?
5: Well, I'm glad that people are recognizing that this is not just an Alabama issue or a Missouri issue or a Georgia issue, that what affects some of us affects all of us. This is a direct attack by anti-women's health politicians against the health and the rights of women and all people in this country. And I need everyone to speak up. If you feel outraged right now, don't just feel outraged channel that into action talk to your friends talk to your neighbors talk about why this is an assault on our rights like never before make sure that you take action support groups like Planned Parenthood that are providing exceptional health care every day help us to spread the word too. that Our health centers are open. Look, women are confused and scared and are calling us. Actually, our health centers in Alabama have received hundreds of calls from women who don't know whether they can still come and get care. And so help and support us. Know that our doors have been open for 100 years. They are open today. They're open tomorrow. We are going to be here to continue to provide exceptional care get organized, get mobilized, make sure that we keep on talking about who is here to stand for women and who is not here for women and, in fact, are here to take away our basic rights and taking away our own ability that we have to make decisions about something as fundamental as our body and our rights.
4: Dr. Lena Wen, thank you so very much. For those of us who have benefited from, who have participated in a misogynist culture, you are being a champion on this is deeply appreciated, and your spending some time with us is deeply appreciated. I'm sorry that people are having to go through this, and I know how gratified they are and to some degree comforted they are by the fact that you're working on this. We appreciate you.
5: Thank you so much
4: let's go straight to christine from los angeles we got a few minutes christine thanks for being patient and joining us
8: thank you jefferson i appreciate your taking my call i feel like i'm experiencing ptsd with this abortion thing in alabama this is hideous way back before abortion was legal in california a friend of mine got a referral To a doctor in a hospital in Mexico City, and she was fortunate enough to be able to get the money together before her fiancé shipped out to Vietnam. As she was coming out of the anesthesia, she realized that a male orderly was fondling her breasts. That's one little story, but here's a personal story. A couple of years later, abortion was legal in California, but it was required that a doctor certify that it was necessary for a woman's mental health. I needed the procedure a roommate of mine referred me to her gynecologist a kindly looking white-haired old man who told me that i was indeed pregnant and how much it would cost i blanched i didn't have that kind of money then he told me about his boat and that he would do it for free if i went with him for a weekend on his boat this is an md here in los angeles so i went home i called planned parenthood I loved Planned Parenthood, and was referred to a doctor who performed the procedure in a local hospital. Um, it was done under a general anesthesia, and I experienced the most amazing and disturbing psychedelic nightmares that I remember to this day. I thought that I was handling it well, but the nightmares caused me to question you know, myself. Anyway, some years later, I needed a second abortion and had a vacuum suction performed with a local anesthesia at the clinic of the Feminist Women's Health Center. They told me that the nightmares I experienced were common, and they considered them to be bad side effects. Now, the males in charge of everything at the hospital in L.A., where I had the first one done and had the nightmares, they didn't consider that to be a bad side effect, and they never even mentioned it as a possibility. So I questioned myself, you know. But anyway, going over all of this, huh, I mean, it makes me tremble to think of what women are going to experience again. It's awful. My stories are small, you know, they have good endings, but this is absolutely going to be horrible. I mean, with horrible, hellish results for women. I just wanted to add that. I really I so think appreciate
4: that, it. I so appreciate. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off.
8: Oh, I just wanted to say that I think that it would be a good idea to have women call in with their their stories. Just uh, and, have a day of stories, personal accounts.
4: And, and I appreciate your story, and we will welcome anybody who wants to share this. don't want to pressure anybody who doesn't want to share their story, but if you want to share your story, we want to open up the lines to you. I appreciate it so much. I know how painful it's got to be. I didn't have to do it. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And, and I do yeah. think it's powerful. I do think sharing your story is powerful because so many is of these it? stories people don't share. And so we don't see the, we don't see the cost of these. No. We just dub as policy choices. We don't see as human choices. And we love you. And we appreciate you taking the time.
8: Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you very much.
4: All right, Christine. This is a Tom Hartman Show. Thanks to all of our affiliates. Support them.
3: you're listening to Tom Hartman
4: This is Tom Hartman show I'm Jefferson Smith and I should have said this again at the beginning of the show I mean anybody just joining us trigger warning up and down the street we're dealing with tough topics today wanting people to want to share their story people have been waiting patiently let's go to Trish who wins the most patient listener award from Kent Washington mm-hmm. hello Trish
9: hi Jeff I wanted to talk about abortion because my grandmother died from an illegal abortion. Oh, dear. She left six children behind. It was during the Depression. Oh, dear. My mother was 10. She had twins that were less than a year old. They ended up having to live with an aunt and an uncle. The whole dynamics of the family was changed. You know, I never grew up with a grandmother. And then their father died young, too. So they were really in a bad situation, and I feel that abortion is something that's done when you're in a desperate state. Yeah. So women are not going to stop having abortions. What's going to happen is they're going to die again, Yeah. and that's really horrible for the whole family. And I feel that if these Republican lawmakers really want to stop abortion, they need to make birth control more accessible. They need to give a lot of money to Planned Parenthood, because Planned Parenthood will help you get on contraceptives. They don't tell you, oh, don't worry, just come back when you need an abortion. I mean, that's crazy. So the conservatives that say they really just don't want children to die. I think they're just trying to control women.
4: Yeah. No, on Mondays and Thursdays on our home station at X-ray, my dad and I do a show on Mondays and Thursday mornings called News with My Dad. It's called that because I talk about the news with my dad. And one of the lines that he talks about uh, is uh, when Planned Parenthood comes up, he says, people need to understand that what Planned Parenthood is about is wanted babies, is wanted children. And that usually has come up in the context of trying to defund Planned Parenthood and recognizing that when there is access to contraceptives, when there's access to family planning, abortions go down. And your point, Trish, is so important. I am also interested though, and really appreciate the your willingness to share your family's story. It does, and we've tried to be, been prioritizing calls from people with personal stories to share and from women callers whose perspectives matter so much vastly more certainly than my own because I think you can inspire other people to share their stories because I think there's so many people that is touched personally that they have felt maybe shame and not to share. And, and stories like your family are so important. Are you willing to talk about it a little bit more? I don't want to pressure you. You don't want to. It's totally up to you.
9: No, I'd be happy to.
4: So you say your grandmother during the Depression, she already had six kids, and the seventh kid they said, we shouldn't do this anymore, or at least not right now?
9: Yes. Well, yeah, because the youngest were 10-month-old twins, and they had a trouble feeding everybody in the family as it was because it was during the Depression.
4: And so abortion was illegal, but that didn't stop her from seeking an abortion. Tell us, to exactly. the you're comfortable, tell us about that, not just that choice, but how she went to access an abortion.
9: Well, um, what I've been told is that an aunt gave her the abortion. So how it was done, where, I don't know, yeah. but I know that uh, my mother and the rest of the family was all called into her bedroom to say goodbye to her, and she had blood coming out of everywhere she died of sepsis so it was very it was heartbreaking
4: so six kids including 10-month-old twins who are already having a hard Mm -hmm. time getting fed getting taken care of in the middle of the great depression you have six kids who don't have a mom anymore because because of a law that said she couldn't get it done healthy that's the story of your family yes i'm so sorry i'm so sorry you know
9: uh, yeah, it was if you hear my my mom and my uncles talk about and my aunt, I have one aunt, how they grew up and their childhood, it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because it didn't get any easier.
4: No, it would have gotten a lot harder. <laughs> Right, yes, because, it because now what it, what it, do you know in the family Lord, you know what they did for child care after that what they like was an aunt available then to help? and what did the, what did the kids do? I mean, ten months old, well, this, this, your, your grandmother was still probably breastfeeding?
9: Yes. well, I know that my mother wanted to she was 10, she had an older brother twelve, and the rest were all younger. The only other girl was one of the twins and she wanted to quit school to stay home and take care of the twins well her father said no and i think they try he tried to hire help but it didn't last long i'm not sure why if it was money or whatever but an aunt and uncle who were never able to have children took the twins and raised them
0: Trish, so. your, your
4: story your story matters I thank you so much for sharing it I, I think we take I think we take for granted it's been treated as like I don't know some political football is this is mm-hmm. just an issue and, and, and we forget the lives of people that it impacts and thank you so much for putting it in
3: higher relief
9: oh you're welcome thanks for having me
4: we'll be back this is Tom
3: Shauncha you're listening to Tom Hartman visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives
7: It's the Tom Harbin University Book Club. Today we're reading from Minority Leader, How to Lead from the Outside and Make Real Change by Stacey Abrams. This is from Chapter One. I sit in the living room, a cozy space, warm in the early summer. I'm perched on the edge of a sofa next to Valerie, the home's owner, a lovely black woman in her late 40s. Across from us, seated close together on a wide settee, met for one, are her two children, a son and a daughter. Politicians rarely visit their streets, which are nestled in a poorer community in South Georgia. Valerie beams with pride that both her children are headed to college in the fall. David, 17, plans to study criminology. Maya, 18, her belly round with her first child, intends to become a middle school teacher. Both newly graduated from high school. Maya will give birth in mere weeks and begin college months later, an unwed teen mother. Her intended school is more than three hours north of her home, so her mother will raise her newborn baby while she starts her freshman year. Valerie speaks matter-of-factly about the coming challenge, raising a new child just as hers leave the nest. Still, she is determined that both her children pursue college degrees that she never received. Maya, the mother-to-be, wonders how she'll do so far away from home and her baby. Yet in the next breath, she explains how college will be the best for her and her child. Their future success rests upon her. I've come to their home as part of my campaign for governor, so I ask Valerie what she expects of someone like me. What can I do to help make lives like hers better? In her soft voice, she replies, she just wants options for financial aid for her children. They will succeed, she says, if they can afford to stay in school. As I look around the modest home passed down through the generations, I understand both the pride and the desperation tangled in her response. She got them through and has given them the tools to carve out better lives for themselves. We chat more about the worries she's lived with all those years, our discussion turning to the crime and poverty in their neighborhood. Then I ask Valerie what she wants. At first, all I get in response is a quizzical look. That suggests I need to reconsider my bid for higher office. I repeat, what do you want for you? What secret dream do you have for yourself? Her confused expression turns to one of surprise. I don't know, she tells me. I've been a cashier at the Piggly Wiggly for 20 years. You must want something, I probe. Something you'd like to do for you? A daycare, she admits quietly. I'd like to start a daycare center for unwed mothers like my daughter so more girls can finish school and pursue their dreams. But that ambition is beyond her. Her body language, her tone of voice, her averted gaze speak louder than her words. I press her, but she demurs with a smile. Let's just see what happens if you win the governor's job, she says. Valerie's house in South Georgia is not too different from the squat red brick house where I grew up on South Street in Gulfport, Mississippi. An oak tree grew in our front yard, shadowing the front sidewalk, forbidding grass to grow beneath its shade. Pink azaleas bloomed each spring from bushes that flanked the front door. Our rented house and the others set close by teemed with children, all black, all working class. We played in our postage-stamped yards, make-believing the fantastical. Superhero exploits, cops and robbers. As we got older, we'd talk about moving to New Orleans or living in one of the mansions along the beachfront that lay less than five miles away, across the railroad tracks that ran in between our neighborhood and the more wealthy environs. We dreamed of more. our parents' lives centered around survival and making it from paycheck to paycheck. Instinctively, we understood that more had to be possible, even if we didn't know what to do to get there. These imaginings, these desires, are the roots of ambition. As adults, like Valerie, we tend to edit our desires until they fit our construction of who we're supposed to become. In such a world, I wouldn't dare dream of running for higher office, for mayor or governor or president. At least for now, Valerie sees herself retiring in 20 more years from Piggly Wiggly as a cashier, rather than as a small business owner who helps the community raise its children. From our brief meeting, I could see she had the fire, albeit of a low burn, of a minority leader. She had ambition, she had vision, but she didn't have the faith, and understandably so. Whether we come from working-class neighborhoods or grow up comfortably middle-class, minorities rarely come of age explicitly thinking about what we want and how to get it. People already in power almost never have to think about whether they belong in the room, much less if they would be listened to once outside. These men, and they are usually men and typically white, do not have to grapple with low expectations based on gender or race or class. Ambition for them begins with the reminiscence of old times and older friendships or newer alliances. The ends have already been decided. Only the means are to be discussed. Most potential minority leaders feel the same lack of faith Valerie had, at least at some point in their evolution. We may not know how to get the first job, let alone make it to the big chair. We don't know how to take the leap from accepting our fates to actually changing them, and not just a little, but radically. Then there are those who simply don't know what they want. The drive to achieve burns inside, often without a clear target. We want to be something, but what that is remains hazy. Often we cannot articulate our goals because they lie just beyond the reach of who we're supposed to be. Ambition scale is irrelevant. What holds us back is not scope, it's fear. And because we don't know what to call our dreams, don't know how to make them happen, or are pretty sure we'll be disappointed, we just stand still. But becoming a minority leader demands that we embrace ambition as our due. Stacey Abrams. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the Fred chart on the purchasing power of the dollar. And look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call one own gold That's one eight 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 O 888 gold
4: when is is it Rangeley, Maine?
10: Well, no, it's actually in a little town called Emden, Maine.
4: Oh, Emden, Maine. when go ahead. You're okay. on there.
10: Well, I've been waiting to see this argument laid out, but I never hear it. But it is the one, number one argument why the Republicans are against abortion. Okay, first of all, let me just say this that any one of those senators, the president, whatever, any of these highfalutin Republicans, if they had a 16-year-old daughter who got pregnant, I guarantee you she'd be on a jet to Geneva, Luxembourg, or Paris to a hospital, and an abortion will be done, legal or illegal in the United States. Okay? Now, the issue is one of class differentiation. This is what the Republicans want. This is what they want to promote. There is a class war. They just don't want to admit it. And what they want is as many poor people uneducated people and those are the ninety-nine percent of the time those are the people that need and want and desire an abortion but what the Republicans want is for that woman to have a baby so she's not going to go to school and get educated the father is not going to be in a position where he can't afford to get an education because now he's got this baby to support you know it's a situation where the child too it's probably going to come from a circumstance that's not going to allow him to grow up and be educated. And that's exactly what they don't want. An educated middle class and an anti-abortion policy or law will ensure that.
4: I appreciate it, Wyn. I appreciate your call. Elizabeth from West Hollywood, California. Hello, Elizabeth.
1: Hi. I worked in the child support court. Well, I worked in family law court for many years and then I worked occasionally in the child support court. And the thing that they don't even mention about this whole abortion issue is who's gonna pay for this child and I thought that if they're gonna have a law that a woman can't have an abortion, there should be an addendum to include that the man has to pay child support from the beginning. Mm. It's appalling what some of these men who have many children all over the place and experienced that issue when I worked at the child support court, where a man, he has a girlfriend here. And he's got three children with her and had another couple of liaisons where he's had other children and can't afford to support any of them. Yeah. And I don't know, I always thought the resolution is if you don't pay your child support, you should have a mandatory vasectomy.
4: You know, Elizabeth, appreciate the call dot from Upland, California. You're on the air. Thanks for sharing your story.
11: Hi, I am calling on the opposite side of abortion. Sure. I was a child born because abortion was not legal. One of six children. I grew up with zero self-worth. Not knowing that physical abuse was not love. So countless marriages, trying to find love that was ended up in abuse. I counted the days growing up until I was 18. I saved every penny I could get my hands on just to escape. I wouldn't wish my life on anyone. I saw the disparity in Christmas gifts. We were always told to make lists every brother and sister got what they wanted on their mm. list, except for me. My clothes were bought at the second-hand store. All the others received new clothes.
4: And you lived the life of an unwanted child.
11: Exactly. It is not something that any child should be forced
4: to live I'm through. so sorry. I'm so sorry, well, we I just want to... I am
11: not sorry. I'm not calling for sympathy. No,
4: I recognize it, but I, I appreciate I it called. nonetheless.
11: I just want people to know that this is not what children should be growing up with it's just not and i i don't regret not being with my mother when she died even though she would died in the same city i lived in i would not go to the hospital Hmm.
4: and so for you what you want to make sure is that we have a we have what a set of rules that encourages more wanted children is that where you end up landing
11: i think that women should be able to decide whether they want children or not. And, yeah. and they shouldn't be tortured just because they're unwanted. Yeah, That's what this system is going to set up. And I then, mean, it, look it, at how yeah. many children are born and put up for adoption and end up homeless because they turn 18 and these foster care parents only cared about their money. They didn't care about their education. Yeah, This is just going to create more homeless people.
4: Well, Dot, I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much sharing your story. Okay, thank you very much. Sorry. <laughs> no, why sorry? No, you don't have to even hang sorry up. Why why, why why sorry? You have absolutely nothing to apologize for. What are you talking about? The world should apologize for you, for you having to live a life of uh, not feeling like you were loved and wanted and belonging. Like everybody owes you an apology. Like the one thing we should have, we should be working for a society where people feel like they belong. That should be like yeah. the the main gig. Like you are here, and because you're here, we're gonna try to love you, and we're gonna try to make sure your life doesn't suck. And when you pass somebody on the street, you're gonna hope that they're loved too. And if somebody's lacking love in their own life, we're gonna try to have a world where people are a little more loved rather than a little less and that's the best chance we got you got nothing to apologize for what are you talking about thank you so much we love you have a good day take care this is tom Show. i'm jeff i'll pull it together
0: Stephanie Miller here. If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, you just got very nervous. I did. The FBI's former head of cybercrimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked If you have equity in your home, here's how they get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. And no bank or identity theft program protects you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, we mobilize to help shut it down. You may already be a victim. Here's how to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for your free title scan and report. $100 value, free with sign-up. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com like I did. That's HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, that's HomeTitleLock.com.
4: Howdy, everybody. This is Jeff. Thanks for being with us. You can tweet us at Tom Hartman. You can tweet me at Jefferson D. Smith. We are taking and hearing your stories and moved significantly by multiple of them. We're on with Free Speech TV. Richard from Calumet, Michigan, go ahead.
12: I was another one of those unwanted children. My dad and mom were very young when they had me and my dad went off to Vietnam and while He was off in Vietnam. My mom decided to shack up with somebody else and didn't want me and lied to get me committed. And I ended up growing up in the system and the system has a way of torturing people beyond belief. The stories of experimental drugs, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, being locked in solitary confinement for weeks at a time, they're all true and there's many many places in Michigan half of them don't exist one of the very biggest places was Clinton Valley Center called Farallon was the youth program another one in Ann Arbor was CPH and there was an adoption agency called Spalding for Children who would put kids in abusive homes and these people were at free reign to do whatever they wanted to to kids. And hundreds and hundreds and thousands of kids that I grew up with, and I have no idea even how to contact some of them to pull us together to fight back. And how parents can use their children to fight amongst each other, it's just... If a kid isn't wanted and a kid isn't needed, there's no reason to make anybody suffer.
4: Just Richard, is that place the place you mentioned? Did you mention that place is closed now, or one of the ones that's yeah, still
12: Yeah, all the places I've existed, as far as I know, don't exist. I can't even find my childhood records. And now I'll tell you, it I'm is
4: not it is not a coincidence that housing facilities that were designed essentially for unwanted babies have gone away. In the wake of Roe v. Wade, we have had. A much higher percentage of wanted babies, which means that facilities like that that end up abusing children are less likely to pop up or less likely to
7: fester.
12: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I don't know if somehow other people call into Tom Hartman's show and hear this. And if they're able to get, I'd love people to get a hold of me and get together because there's so many of us out there. Is there a
4: resource? Is there an organization that tries to work with adults of people who are trying to recover from that experience? Not Is that there any I website? If
12: I went to college. I couldn't read when I graduated high school and I uh. taught myself how to read? And I went six years to college to become a counselor to help other kids to make it through Thank the you. system. And then they cut all, our state cut all the programs and there's no health programs. I'm disabled right now. I got my neck broken and auto accident and i can't even go to the social services office and get paperwork because our last governor completely wiped out the social services program yeah
4: well I, richard i'm so sorry yes. i appreciate it appreciate your call i appreciate that I want to hear from Lorinda? Lorinda from roosevelt utah hello Lorinda.
13: hi jeff i wanted to respond to the same thing with dot and richard that they did I had the same experience, like Dot. I was the sixth child, and my mother tried to give herself an abortion with the child she had before me, mm. and when I came along, I was the ultimate insult, <laughs> and uh, they would come in and beat me even in my crib if I cried, and the first words I remember hearing are them screaming at each other, uh, as whose fault I was, and cursing. and. My nine-year-old sister used to sneak in and take me out of my crib and put me in bed with her to try to keep me quiet so that they wouldn't do that. And they caught me in bed with her one morning, and they said, oh, you want her? Well, good. So they just moved my crib and everything out and said, you take care of her, to my nine-year-old sister. and. I mean, they wouldn't even set a a plate at the table when I was older. They wouldn't even set a plate at the table when they served meals. My sister would feed me food off of her plate. I mean, I don't think I would have even survived, I'm sorry, without my sister. But I feel such empathy and love for Dot. Her story is so much like mine. I have struggled with depression and suicidal feelings my whole life and I've been diagnosed with child onset PTSD.
4: What got you through? What you said your sister, what got you through?
13: I don't think I would have survived without my sister. I mean, they just when she was nine and I was not very old, they just abandoned me on her and she said that I was like a doll that she carried around and she took care of and and She was my only advocate. The other children, they took my parents' view, you know, and they, I mean, I was sexually abused by some of them, and they took the view of my parents that I was just a nothing, that you could do anything you wanted to, and so thank God for my sister, I guess, but my whole life I've just felt like I shouldn't be here, you know? I just don't,
4: you know? I don't even know what to say. They asked me to sit in because I'm supposed to have things to say. I don't know what to say.
13: I know, I know you don't, but I was wanting to call in and give the perspective.
4: I'm so of glad a you child. did.
13: Yes, but then I heard Dot, you know, she got in ahead of me, and then I really wanted to express to Dot and to Richard, I have such love and empathy for you. You're not alone, you know. There are more of us, unfortunately. And to, the, to these men, these non ovulators is what I call them, that have so much to say like these men in Alabama, you know, walk in our shoes, you know, that's what I want to say.
4: It's so kind of you to say that to Dot and to Richard. Richard.
13: I would love to uh, be able to talk to uh, like Dot and Richard if there was some way to do it. I know Richard mentioned he would love to talk to somebody but I don't know how to
4: do that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if you email us, it, it's going to be up to them and it's going to be up to you, but if you email us and they email us, I will, of course, connect you together. And if you all tweet at me, I'm Jefferson D. Smith, but if Richard, if you want to connect with Lorinda, you can tweet at me or you can email the show and don't know if we can make a connection, but maybe. At least we can make this connection on the air. And Lorinda, we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Let's take Lisa's call. Lisa from Niles, Ohio. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi, Jeff. Good Hi to talk to you. Likewise. I'm calling about abortion. I was
2: pregnant with my second son. At four months, they do an alpha-fetal protein test, and they found out he had Klinefelters, which is two X chromosomes and a Y. Mm-hmm. He would have been born a boy, and when he hit puberty, he would have developed female characteristics. They grow breasts. They develop into a woman. Mm-hmm along with all the other cancers and medical abnormalities he would have had from birth. 80 to 90% of these children, the reason you've never heard of it is because they kill themselves. 80 to 90% of these children kill themselves during Mm. puberty. So what I chose was, I love God. I was raised Protestant, but my relationship with God is something personal that I believe in. At the time, I felt like, well, if his soul is going to be damned, I'd rather let it be mine. And that's the way I felt at the time that if there was a life to be taken I would do it. I wasn't going to let that be on his soul. But since then I've um, settled that with God. This world wasn't meant for him. This world is too cruel and I never wanted him to have to deal with that. And so I took it upon myself, but I've tried to be honest and open about my story when it, when it was right. And I'll tell you what, there were a lot of people who called me a murderer, selfish, that I just didn't want to take care of a disabled baby. I'm a nurse. I would have loved nothing more than to help a child that I love. That's not it at all. And I've come to find that people have their own agendas and their own guilt about things. I carry guilt around for years because of what other people told me. But I know I did right by my son. And I know my son is perfect and
4: he was always loved. <clears throat> Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you, Thank you so much for sharing your story. Does anybody think this stuff is easy? Does anybody think that, that somebody like Lisa makes a choice without grappling so deeply with her own duties, with her own pain, with her own responsibilities, with her own faith? Nobody. This isn't easy.
3: The
4: question is whether it should be a crime, whether somebody like Lisa or a doctor should be thrown in jail.
3: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Thank you
4: so much for sharing that, we'll get through it. This is Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. Certainly, for much of my lifetime, we have taken Roe vs. Wade for granted. We just assume, I was talking to Sean, who makes this show possible. Sean is a woman. She has the name Sean, and she is a woman. And she said, My whole life, I knew abortion would be there. Thankfully, I never had to use it, but I always knew it would be there. I don't know if the next generation is going to be able to have that same confidence. We have taken it for granted. Part of that has been not sharing people's stories. Sharing stories like Trisha's of when an illegal abortion caused the death of her grandmother. Sharing stories like Richard's, like Lorinda's, like Dots of being and feeling and living the life of unwanted children, how that sticks with you throughout your life. I'm glad you're alive. I want you to feel wanted. How do we make sure that we build a society that works so that people are able to live decent lives when they are born? There, there are places where people belong. I appreciated hearing from Dr. Lena Wen. But these personal stories, this is the stuff that I can't get in debating society. This is stuff that is not just, and this is the stuff I fear we forget in part because they're painful stories to share, which is why we appreciate them so much. Uh, let's hear from Sam in Orange, Texas. Hello, Sam.
14: Hey, Jefferson. Thank you, dear brother, for holding this tough conversation. My mother, when she was in high school in the thirties, was sound to me like date raped and became pregnant and Her older sisters and her little brother packed her up and took her to Mexico for what we always thought was a family vacation. But when one of my girlfriends got pregnant, she shared the story that what they had done was went to Mexico for an illegal abortion, which left her sterile. She got an infection and had to have a hysterectomy. And my sister and I were adopted, and I suppose my birth mother faced a tough decision and either couldn't or wouldn't terminate her pregnancy, and my sister and I were blessed to have a wonderful mother and father. Mom was a Sunday school teacher. Dad was a deacon in a Southern Baptist church. I became a surgical technician, and I have Participated in terminations of pregnancy, and I fully support women's right to choose. Exactly.
4: Want to bring on Valerie Chimayo? It's a Chimayo. Chimayo Spanish accent. Go ahead.
15: Okay, I was unwanted, and my childhood was the same as Dot's, but a worse hell of being singled out for at least fifty disfiguring beatings into semi-unconsciousness endlessly deliberately underfed and enslaved and in school i went through an endless gauntlet of abuse for being silent and disfigured i spent half my life homeless but i responded differently than dot i became fierce outspoken and way more compassionate and you all may think that i deserve to be aborted because my male parent didn't want me but i know i am just as good because I say that least five people's lives on several uh,
4: occasions. Let, let me stop just for a second. I don't think <clears throat> I don't think there's anybody. I don't think there's anybody from anybody we have talked to today. Certainly, nobody sitting in my chair who is thinking that anybody should have been. The, the, I think the the question we're wrestling with is whether somebody who makes that choice, or whether the doctor facilitates it, should go to jail. Whether oh, absolutely not. Yeah. What can you do
15: to make abortion unnecessary, not illegal, but unnecessary? How about the return to welfare as we knew it? You could use the welfare money for daycare because when they're forcing these breastfeeding babies to go into daycare while their mothers have these minimum wage jobs, they're paying more for the daycare than they're paying for the welfare so the mother can
4: breastfeed her baby. This is something that hasn't been brought up enough today, and that's probably my fault, and that is the, the intense, immense cost of childcare right now. People have brought up foster care. People have brought up child support, but the monthly costs, it's so significant. It's so expensive. And to me, just immoral, and I appreciate your point, Valerie, it is immoral to impose forced pregnancies and not provide additional service so that kids can be taken care of. And not just taken care of in the kind of facilities that Richard was talking about, but taken care of in facilities of nurture and ability and health.
15: Exactly. You know, I'd like to see people fight for the return of welfare as we knew it, but to be able to use our welfare money for daycare, if that's what we need to do.
4: Yeah, Valerie, really, I appreciate your call. And I will tell you that I am one of many people who are glad you're doing what you're doing. Kevin from Laurel, Maryland, you're on the air.
6: Yes, I just want to say, me and my girlfriend, maybe 20 something years ago, we was dating and she got pregnant. And while she was pregnant, she had major seizures, where we went to the hospital and the doctor put on medication and the medication would cause the baby to be deformed if she was to take the medicine. So we had to make a choice to yeah. abort the baby or have it deformed. But we also was concerned about her health as well. You know, what I mean, she was having major seizures. Majors. And she still having today, but they're minor. It was a very hard decision for her, I tell you, oh my God. Of course she's Catholic and This was her first time being pregnant. It was very hard. It was very hard. She was going through a seizure, she was pregnant, she had to get on this medication to save her life. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we had two decisions. Her live her life or take the medication and the baby be deformed. What did you choose? So we chose to abort the pregnancy. Yeah. And I still live with it today, you know what I mean, to this day. So I just want to tell people out there, as a man, I support a woman's right. And it it's never an easy choice. It's never. It affects us as well. It affects us as well.
4: Appreciate you. And Joan wrote a note in uh, applauding and encouraging men well making sure that men make space yeah. for women for trans people, for people who yeah. can. And we appreciate you doing yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you. All right, man. Appreciate it, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Whew! We're almost done. We're going to get through it. And I want to say thank you to some particular people. We weren't planning on going as deep on this as we did. Christine said, well, why don't we hear each other's stories? And she was inspired by Trish's story. Trish, whose grandmother was pregnant in the Great Depression with her seventh child, her fifth and sixth child, were 10-month-old twins. She couldn't feed the ones she had. She had an illegal abortion because a legal abortion was not available to her, and she died leaving her children motherless. Dot and Richard and Lorinda and Valerie, all who told stories of being unwanted children. Valerie making a case, I don't want any child aborted, but I also want to make sure that people have the choice and that we do what's necessary, because they're not doing that in Alabama. They rank near the bottom of the country in child welfare. They are willing to kill people if they do something wrong. They are not pro-life in any sense. What they are is limiting women's choices. And so much love to Dot and Richard and Lorinda and Valerie who have lived lives feeling unwanted and so hopeful that this community can be at least one place where it is clear that you belong, where you are wanted, where you are appreciated. Kevin told the story of his girlfriend who was going through seizures, that, that medication that was necessary to control those seizures would have deformed the child, deformed the baby had that baby been brought to term. And so they decided to terminate that pregnancy. That fetus did not turn in to a child. This is not easy stuff, and I don't want to make anybody feel that their moral choices have been discredited here. In fact, the only thing I'm sure of is that I'm not sure, and because of that lack of certainty, because none of us should be so deeply sure, we should not be so blithe as to impose criminal penalties. We've got to make sure y'all feel belo- that you belong, and you do belong. You are priceless. You are the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things, sometimes for no good reason. And you're priceless worth a lot, not for sale. We love you. We appreciate you. Tom will be back soon. I was glad to have the chance to be with you today. Take care of each other.
3: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.